Hey everyone, it's Sherry Dunlevy, your Inspirationista. Today in the Grief Anonymous podcast, we're actually going to take a look at grief and what grief might look like and who grieves and why. Because the first thing that we always associate grief with is someone who is mourning the death of someone that they love. And that is the number one reason of, of someone who is going through grief. In fact, um, when you uh, talk about the definition, Merriam-Webster's definition is, um, of grief is a deep or poignant distress caused by or as if by bereavement, a cause of such suffering. So it is. The number one cause of grief is death. That makes sense, right? And a lot of us, well, almost all of us, will be grieving the loss of someone we love. So it could be a grandparent. Usually, you know, like if we're looking at the order of things in life as we expect them to happen, you know, we look at it as grandparents and then maybe some aunts and uncles and then some, maybe your parents and then maybe siblings, okay? But that's in a perfect world of how you know, things would go. And, and just because it might happen in that kind of natural progression or order doesn't mean that you're going to be less sad because they died in a, in a way that, you know, made sense or was in order, which is, was ridiculous because it's someone that you loved, someone that you cared about, and they're no longer here. When it gets complicated is when it's out of sequence. For example, when my husband and I lost our son, Brandon, 29 days old, that's not supposed to happen, right? You're not supposed to, to have a child die before you die. And they say that, you know, you lose so much more when you lose a child because you lose all the hopes and dreams that you had for them. They die right along with, with that child, right? They die inside that child. That's probably true. But it's because it's out of sequence. It's because, you know, and, and especially me being his mother and I carried him in my body and I knew him so much longer and I felt him kicking and I, you know, I, I knew him. And that separation, that forever separation is what's so powerful and what is so hurting, you know, and you do a lot of things that you never thought about doing when they're when the, when the death is out of order, when it's out of sequence of, of what our mind conjures up of what is normal, right? So for example, when my son died, I remember leaving the hospital and the first thing we did was go to the funeral home. And then we realized, oh, we, we have to buy a plot. We never even thought about that. And then we realized that where we live, they don't sell infant plots. So my husband and I had to buy our plots so that our son could be buried there. So it just, those aren't things that you're thinking of when you're a new and young parent, right? And, it, and it's not normal and it's, it's out of order and that grief is a little bit more complicated. But you know, so it's a parent, it's a spouse, it's a grandparent, it's a child, it's a sibling. It's a, it's a friend or extended family member. Sometimes it's the person that raised you or your second mother. 
someone that, that loved and cared about you. And sometimes it can be, you know, a teacher or someone that you had a special relationship with that people can't understand. And look at the grieving that took place when Kobe Bryant died. And I would guess to say that 95% of the people mourning his death have never met him. Maybe never even saw him play in person. But there's something that connects us to that person. And when the finality happens, the end of their life, the end of their chapter on this earth, that foreverness of never seeing them again, it can do a number on us. That's grief. That's grief. And so while we can grieve the people that have left us permanently here on this earth, they're no longer living, grief can also look um, like divorce, right? Because that's the end of a marriage. You are grieving the end of something, the loss of a spouse in another way. You can also grieve when you lose your job. You know, due to downsizing or being fired or, you know, laid off or retirement. So many of us, we, we put our, we, we assign our identity to our job, right? And then when that job is no longer there, we question who we are and our life can be turned upside down. So we can actually grieve the loss of a job. And here are some other things that people grieve too. Chronic or terminal illness, the loss of our health, the loss of how we thought life would be or how we maneuvered in this world, the loss of maybe the use of our limbs, the limiting, uh, the limitations now that we have because we have to live in a different way because of a cancer diagnosis or an Alzheimer's diagnosis or the loss of our freedom because we had to quit our job or change our life in a way that is now requiring us to provide 24-hour care for someone who's had a chronic or terminal diagnosis. There's so many things that we can grieve. How about this? Grieving your community, your school, your, the people that you've always surrounded. Think about foster children and how they're moved from their family to foster family, moved to different communities, even people in the military, people who are uprooted from their homes, their communities, their schools, and then they move somewhere else. That's a loss. That's something people can grieve. And these last two, mental illness and addiction, you know, so much stigma is attached to, to both of those. And yet that is something that people grieve. The people who love them are grieving the people that they used to know and the people that they, they knew the potential that they had and that is lost. And for the person themselves, how they can't make sense out of their life anymore, of how it's taken a, a big downturn. So those are things that people grieve also, so it's not just death. It can be another kind of loss. People grieve loss, right? So when we think of people grieving, what do we think of? Automatically, we think about people crying, 
so sad, so depressed, having breakdowns, being lonely, feeling isolated. That's pretty much what grief looks like. I mean, and that is, you know, in your mind's eye, when you picture someone grieving, you picture them with their head down, maybe, maybe closed off, maybe, maybe crying or clutching onto something. The lowest of the low. There are a couple um, pieces of art, two sculptures that come to mind to me. The first one is a, as a man who um, looks fine on the outside. It's a metal sculpt, sculpture and the man is sitting you know, down and he's looking like this and, and it's the, the outline of a man and the inside of him is all hollow. Like a piece of him is missing, right? That's what grief feels like. But it also feels like the one where you see it's a, it's a cage, a net, a, a, a netted cage, and it's filled with rocks, and it has a person just down on the ground, and that cage, which is in the form of a person, is just weighed down by the heaviness of the sadness. That's what our mind's eye goes to when we're thinking of grief, right? So that is the traditional thought of what grief is. But grief can also look like this, and I want people to recognize this, because sometimes we misconstrue grieving people as troublemakers. And that's not the case. It's usually the case of not knowing what emotions are going to be coming up, not knowing how to react to it, not having complete control over really what is happening. So grief can also look like fear. All of a sudden, a person is, is afraid to go on. Sometimes they're afraid to let go of that sadness. Sometimes they're afraid to leave their house. Sometimes they're afraid to leave their family. They are afraid of everything because the world has just been turned upside down. A lot of times grief looks like anger. Grieving people can be so angry. And a lot of times grieving people really want to point the finger at something or somebody to blame this on. And let me tell you, sometimes Anger is so much easier to feel than crying, than sadness. Anger, there's, there's just a, a satisfaction that comes from, from that anger. The sadness almost makes you feel like anger, you can get it out. If you go to sadness, you're afraid you'll never be able to escape out of that deep sadness. Grief can also look like withdrawal. People who are engaged in life just suddenly don't seem interested in anything at all. People that you were very close to just have nothing to say. They withdraw from society. They withdraw from friends and family. They withdraw from all of the interests, the things that, interest, that used to interest them. And I say be patient with that. I hear a lot of creatives, you know, a lot of creatives are able to make sense of their pain through their creative process. They can write songs, they can write poetry, they write books, they create beautiful art as a result 
of their grief, but then there are other creatives who feel that creativity has been cut off and it will never come again. And so that's a fear. So it can work both ways. But if you work through your grief, you can work through and the creativity will return. It really will. Grief can also look like forgetfulness and scatteredness. And that's what I want people to, to, to see too, because sometimes, you know, you go to work and you act like everything is fine, put a smile on your face. And for some reason, your work is suffering. You're, you're forgetting deadlines. You're forgetting details that you always have. Your, your thoughts are scattered. You, you, you are in a conversation, but yet you're not in a conversation. You, you forget what you were going to say. This happens a lot of times. Grief is that controlling. It is that powerful over your mind. Grief can also look like rebellion. No one's going to tell you what to do anymore. You are rebelling against what everybody is telling you, what they think is good for you, and you're going to do the exact opposite. That's kind of mixed in with, with anger. And a lot of times we see that with our teens, with our younger adults. It's a way of acting out. It's a way of processing, and they might not even understand it at all. But if we can stand back and we can take a look at that, we can understand and maybe help them maneuver through this grief. And grief also looks like um, illness, believe it or not. People who are within the first year of grieving seem to get sick an awful lot. Their resistance is down. Their immune system is weakened. Sometimes people like me store their grief inside their body. You see, when my son died, I still had a three-year-old at home. and. He needed a mom. And because he was three years old, I made a conscientious effort to always put on a decent face for him, to always try to bring light and joy into his life because I didn't want his earliest memories of his mother to be ones that his mother was constantly sad. His mother could never give him the attention that he needed because his brother died. And I didn't want that for him. So I had to consciously choose how I was going to react. And so I would always tell people, like, and tell my counselors that I had to put my grief on the back burner. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but I just had to, I had to put it back here and maybe deal with it later so that I could go on. But see, you really can't do that. I thought it made sense. And I thought that, you know, I had it totally under control. But what I realized is, is that your body doesn't forget. And so the back burner for me was actually storing it somewhere else in my body. And a year later, on Mother's Day, as a matter of fact, in my sleep, I sneezed and my disc exploded. And three days later, I was having emergency surgery. That was grief. That was unprocessed grief being stored in my body because I had put it on the back burner. So the reason that I'm doing this podcast today, the reason that I'm doing this episode today is because I want you, the griever, the person who is suffering right now, to realize that what you are feeling is legitimate. Those feelings that may not make sense to you, it's, it's your body's way and your mind's way and your spirit's way of trying to get you through this worst time of your life. 
and you have to feel those feelings and you have to be present for them. And if you put that on, put it on the back burner, like I put it on the back burner, it's going to come and it's going to catch up with you eventually. It will. So I encourage you, you know, go to support groups if you have support groups. Join the Grief Anonymous groups online. If you can't get out of your house, if you can't find anything in your community, get online and join us. There are so many people who will support you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. You never know who they might be. But get out there, get talking about it. Realize that you're not alone. Realize that grief looks different for every single person. And that's what you will find when you find these support groups. You will find this common knowledge of this, this common grief, this common sadness, but how people deal with it is completely different. And for the people who love people who are grieving right now, recognize some of these other signs and symptoms. You know, they're not okay just because they're smiling. They might not be okay just because they're smiling, okay? They might be forgetting things. They might not feel like doing things. Those are all normal signs, right? But, you know, so is having anger and being afraid and so sometimes maybe when they're pushing back it's because of those other signs and symptoms of grief be patient with them just simply be open to them i heard the other day i was sitting with a woman uh she's a she's a an episcopal priest and we were talking about holding space for someone and i said what does that even mean and she said it's being present with someone. And when you're having a conversation and someone starts opening up to you, it's literally sitting back and physically opening up your body. You can have your hands up in the air like this, you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be like that, but just make that mental picture of how you are opening yourself up to hearing that person, seeing that person and trying to understand and witnessing what they're saying, acknowledging what they're saying, and holding that space for them to be free to say what they need to say without thinking about a comeback, without interrupting them, but sitting back with an open heart and open ears and a shut mouth and literally opening yourself up to this sacred space. I think that's beautiful. And if you could hold space, hold that sacred space for someone that you love for as many times that's needed, it's a beautiful gift that you can give someone. So again, I'm Sherry Dunleavy, your Inspirationista. I just wanted to go over those signs of grieving because I think that it can help people better understand what's happening to them because they're feeling so bad. So they can look at it. It doesn't matter if you've lost someone that, that died or whether you're getting a divorce or whether you've just, you can grieve so many different things and you can feel so many different things and all of them are okay. And for those of us who love people that are going through that, 
It helps us better understand it. It helps us be able to support them, hold space for them, love them, lift them up, and hopefully carry them through. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with another edition of the Grief Anonymous podcast soon.